This is episode 385 of the AWS podcast, released on August 20, 2020. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS Podcast. Simon Lesh here with you. Great to have you back. And I'm joined by a very special guest today. I'm joined by Richard Moulds, who is the General Manager of Amazon Bracket. Welcome to the podcast, Richard. Yeah, hi. How are you doing? I am well. And this is a topic I'm super excited to talk about because this is one of those, well, one of the many topics I look at and go, I know very little about this. I know it's kind of important, so I should know more, but I don't even know where to start. So before we get into it, Maybe tell us a little bit about your own background uh, and why this is a domain you work in. Uh, so I joined AWS um, about two and, a, two and a half years or so ago, and um, I originally joined uh, the crypto team, actually, securing data, uh, actually uh, worrying about uh, trying, to, trying to secure uh, the cryptographic keys that people use to encrypt their data all across AWS. Uh, so my background is primarily cryptography, but that morphed into quantum computing, um, really on the back of the fact that quantum computers are held up as being a potential threat to uh, encryption and data security at some point in the future. So it was interesting for me to move from uh, an area that uh, was focused on protecting customer data uh, to worrying about the threats against those encryption schemes uh, arising from quantum computing and how you can use quantum mechanics as better ways to generate cryptographic keys and to share cryptographic keys. So it was a a sort of natural transition then to start thinking more about quantum computing in general. And um, at AWS, we were starting to to think about how we might realize that that as a service. And uh, I thought that would be a pretty fascinating challenge for the reasons you described earlier and uh, gave it a go. And, and here we are. So so to set the scene, I'm going to ask the deceptively easy question with the really, really hard answer. <laughs> and so we're not going to be able to give a long, massive answer, but I guess for the purposes of our conversation today, what is quantum computing? Ah. Well, the simple answer is it's potentially a whole new era in computing using completely different technologies that we're used to. So... Um, Quantum computers use quantum mechanical effects to do calculations, um, which sounds pretty fancy, but it's very different. You know, today's computers use electronic switches in the form of transistors, millions and millions of them, but still just switches to do calculations. Um, quantum computers are, are, in that sense, I suppose, you know, alive. You know, they can, they can, they can perform calculations in uh, systems sort of running in parallel and, and that are in- interconnected. Um, so you've probably heard this phrase, uh, superposition, uh, as well as uh, entanglement. These two words people typically think of in the context of quantum computing. And that's really that's really how a quantum computer differs from a regular computer and, and what makes it potentially interesting. Um, so superposition, I think, is, although people think of entanglement as, as a cool, as a cool um, capability, and it is, it's superposition that really gives quantum computers their power. If you, uh, you know, obviously a regular computer uh, is bound to thinking in terms of ones and zeros, it's digital. But a quantum computer isn't tied to those limits. Quantum computer uh, uses these things called qubits or quantum bits. And a quantum bit can be in both states at the same time, which sounds sort of crazy. But it's true. You know, if you think of a, um, you know, say you had a chessboard of 
64 squares, eight by eight, and you put a coin, heads or tails, in each one of the 64 squares, that would you know represent a simple little memory chip, if you like, in a traditional classical computer. Um, believe it or not, you could represent you know 18 billion billion different states on that chessboard, depending on which were heads and which were tails. And a regular computer would work by reading something from memory doing a calculation, maybe comparing a number, maybe incrementing or decrementing a number and writing it back to memory. So you could think of how long it might take a computer to run through all of those 18 billion billion combinations in that memory. Uh, so lots of combinations, but that memory board could only be in one of those states at any one time. But if rather those squares, rather than being single traditional bits, if they were qubits, that board, that chessboard can be in all of those states all at the same time. That gives it a potentially incredible amount of power. And that's a, a completely different model of compute than, than we're used to, which I think is why for, for many practitioners, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around because you're kind of like, in many ways, unlearning a lot of stuff you've we've learned and relied upon as, uh, as the way things work. Yeah. With, with any new technology, there's always, you know, inflated expectations or it could be this or it could be that. What are, what are some of the realistic promises of this technology? Like, where where do you think it might go? Well, so uh, so that you, you use the word might and realistic in that sentence, and they're both very important words <laughs> uh, in this context. So we know for a fact, you know, it's mathematically proven that quantum computers can do things that regular computers cannot. Um, the challenge is to figure out how long it will take for the industry to realize a machine that is powerful enough to, those, to do those combinations. So there's a fundamental capability, and then there's the practical reality of building a machine that's powerful enough. Uh, I'll try to give you an example. So some, some computational problems that have existed forever, nothing to do with quantum computing, are fundamentally difficult to do and get really difficult as they scale. So if you think about you know, delivering packages. If you have 10 customers, 10 houses, and you want to deliver 10 packages, one to each of them, figuring out the best route to take, most effective route, efficient route between uh, those different locations. Believe it or not, there's 3 million different combinations that you could deliver those 10 packages. Crazy. If you added an 11th house and an, and an 11th package, the problem gets 11 times harder, and then 12 times harder, and then 13 times harder. So for 60 customers, not many more, um, it ends up being the number of combinations is roughly similar to the number of particles in the universe. So that's an example of a problem that gets crazy hard real quick as you add scale to the problem. Um, and that's a problem that's faced in many, many, many industries, whether you're routing phone calls through a telecom network, um, you're trying to move buses around you know, a, a, a city landscape, you're trying to figure out the risk profile of your investments, you're trying to do machine learning, you face these optimization problems. Another area that is a similar problem, if you think about trying to model how, how molecules work, right? you've got to think about, okay, you've got this hydrogen, oxygen, hydrogen atom with oxygen atom, you haven't got very many electrons, you haven't got very many protons, but to model how that the energy exists within that molecule, you have to understand how every single one of those subatomic particles interacts with all of the others. That's okay for a simple molecule like water, but even moving up to a slightly bigger molecule, uh, like say for like ammonia, uh, that problem becomes intractably large. And you start to think about, um, you know, fancy plastics or 
drugs from a pharmaceutical point of view. These are huge molecules, so big you could never completely model them from an energy perspective. And that means that you're sort of guessing about how to synthesize these types of molecules, how to optimize the performance of some of these molecules. So in principle, quantum computing allows you to do that molecular simulation and might allow us to dramatically change the efficiency of the materials used using batteries, say, for storing electricity, or the materials we use to create you know, photo photovoltaic cells, or uh, the chemicals and compounds you might use you know, in a drug to target a particular disease in the body. So if you can simulate uh, molecular structures, then that potentially revolutionizes entire industries. Um, so therefore, it is both, you know, a potentially disruptive opportunity for some companies, and it's a disruptive threat for for other companies. And that's why people are super excited. Um, we key typically on, you know, molecular simulations because it sort of makes sense thinking about it using a, a quantum computer that that runs on molecular forces to essentially model molecular effects sort of makes sense. It feels like you're using the right horse for the right course. It's like you're modeling, modeling yourself in a way. And, and, and I think it's interesting. One of the, certainly one of the things that I see is sort of the general communication about uh, quantum computing out in the market relates mm -hmm. to the domain you're working in originally, which is around encryption. And, and people often talk about the concept of uh, post quantum encryption and, and the effect that quantum computing again may have on what yes. is an established and well understood technology. That's right. So, um, so there's lots of uh, lots of big benefits to be had from quantum computing, but of course there are some threats as well. Most new technologies, you know, come with a but. So yeah. So one of the reasons why encryption today is is as safe as it is is because you know the keys that we use to encrypt our data, many hundreds of bits, in case many thousands of bits long, have an, you know a, a ludicrous number of combinations. It's therefore not practical for an attacker. To go try every single combination, you know, the, the the your front door key, you know, may have six bumps on it, and there aren't that many combinations to six bumps on a key. But physically making you know each of those variants of a physical key is quite difficult. But in in an electronic world, to try every combination of a digital key is is really simple. Uh, so therefore, we have to use keys that have so many combinations. It's implausible that anybody could try brute force to find the right matching key and decrypt the data. But because of this this phenomena that I mentioned earlier about quantum computers and their ability to exist. In, in multiple states at the same time means and it's, it's it's simplistic to say this, but in principle they could try many or even most combinations at the same time. And there are there are, there are proven algorithms uh, that quantum computers, when they're powerful enough, could use uh, to crack an encryption key. The good news is that that it takes a large large quantum computer, way bigger than the computers that exist today to run that algorithm efficiently on the sort of key lens that we use today. So it's, you know, it's it's way more than a decade away before we can start cracking even today's encryption codes, which is good news because it takes, you know, probably a decade to find and prove a new encryption algorithm that's secure. And there's already plenty of work going on. In fact, there's a whole group at, uh, here at AWS that are working on defining a, what's called a quantum safe algorithm that can safely protect data in this uh, post-quantum era. So we have some time to do it, um, which is good news because it takes a long time to find a good algorithm and then get it deployed into the field. Very true. Now, let's talk about Amazon Bracket as a service. And 
you know, why this project emerged and, and why you've created this service for our customers to use because as you mentioned you know, the, the the whole field is still very much developing yet we have a service that customers can have in their hands so tell us a bit about the context of it um well you know as you know everything we do here is um is because customers ask us to do it quantum computing is 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 maybe one of the first technologies that is that will only ever exist in the cloud you know it's not feasible to go buy yourself unless you know unless you're a very special organization it's not really feasible to go buy your own quantum computer and then maintain it particularly in such a dynamic space this 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 technology is evolving you know almost on a monthly basis so physically buying a machine and doing your own experiments probably doesn't make a lot of sense in most cases but if customers want to um, to get their hands on one of these machines and not use it to go crack some of these big codes i'm not just talking about encryption but you know to go plumb the depths of the molecular science, that's not what you're using today's machines for. Today's machines are to learn how to program quantum computers and to try to identify early applications for them and to build up uh, an internal skill set. You know, companies don't just magically one day wake up and have a department full of expert quantum programmers. You know, that takes a while to to identify and to recruit and to build that team and to give them some sense of purpose and identify where they should be spending their time and their resources. You know, that might take five years. And if we think a quantum computer starts to do you know, really interesting things within five years, then that means that some companies should start sooner rather than later. Uh, whether whether they see it as a threat or whether they see it as an opportunity, nonetheless, they should start. So, you know, in some of the industries that we think quantum computing will have the earliest impact, uh, those customers, of, of course, are keen to see not only if this is real, um, but how they can use it and how, more importantly, how they can they can resource up so that they can take advantage of it as the machines become more powerful. And of course, they can, they can detect that growth rate themselves and they can start to innovate themselves, which is you know the reason why we do lots of things here. So let's uh, it makes a lot of sense. Let's let's demystify a few things. Firstly, why is a service called Amazon Bracket? And for for listeners, it's spelled B R A K E T. And what yes. is included in the service? So, to, uh, well, your first uh, to answer your first question, Amazon. So, Bracket is the uh, is the scientific notation for quantum states. So, uh, it was coined you know many decades ago. Uh, it, it seemed a uh, a very fitting name. Uh, most most names for quantum machines or quantum services or quantum tools uh, start with the letter Q, as you might imagine. And uh, we decided we, that we did not want to go down that path. We thought we could be a little bit more interesting. Um, <laughs> uh, so bracket is the uh, is the scientific notation for quantum states. So it makes, makes perfect sense. But unfortunately, of course, as you go through the reviews to approve these names, you know, it took us some time before people stopped thinking it was a typo, and uh, and gave us enough time to explain that no, 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 it was a real word, and uh, and and then it made sense. It's not the bracket so, you're thinking of. <laughs> no, no, indeed. Um, yes. Yeah, so if you uh, obviously if you if you if you um, do an internet search for Amazon bracket but with a C, then you end up with a very different list of results in your. Uh, your search screen than you would without okay without the C rather. Um, what was your second question? Oh yeah, what is it? So, uh, so yeah, so the second question was uh, yeah the features. What what did we get when we uh, when we fire up Amazon Bracket? Sure, I mean the overriding feature of the service is to give customers access to real machines, real hardware. 
which you know, which a lot of people don't necessarily realize these these machines actually even really exist yet. Um, and in, and in often cases, you know, they even they do exist. They exist in private labs, um, you know, university institutions, and they're pretty hard to get your hands on. You know, typically the companies that, that build these machines maybe only have one or two devices that they're sharing with their engineers. So getting access to these machines is really hard. And, uh, and they're you know, beautiful looking machines have, too. They're, they're like, they're, they're almost they cyberpunk in their look. It's amazing. That, that's that's right. And, um, and what's, what's interesting is there's, there's at least half a dozen ways in which you can build one of these machines. And, uh, and it's not obvious, which is the best way right now. And it, and it may be the case that different technologies, you know, actually address different problems down the road. And there may be multiple different types of quantum computers in the future. Um, but there's at least six different ways to build them. Different technologies completely. Some have to be super cold. Uh, some don't, you know, some go fast, some go slow, some, some stay coherent for longer than others. And part of the, Part of our goal in, in building the bracket service was to give customers access to as many of these different technology types as possible so that they could compare for themselves the pros and cons of the different approaches. So uh, as these te- different technologies are, are built and become available, then our goal is to make them uh, accessible through the bracket service. So not only is it about choice, it's also about programming tools. Uh, most of the machines that are available today come with a developing a developer uh, framework or programming environment that's, that's specific to that machine. We wanted to try and get away from that and give uh, customers access to as agnostic a programming environment as possible so that as the technology changes, which it obviously will do you know, over, over the coming years, customers aren't tied to a particular technology or particular vendor. So uh, we, uh, we defined, um, Again, still early days. What we think is a reasonably agnostic developer framework, um, which customers can use to program uh, uh, quantum algorithms, and they can test those algorithms against uh, simulators that run on classical, traditional hardware, which is obviously much cheaper and much more available, uh, particularly in the AWS cloud. And then once they're happy that their algorithms work, they can switch over to using, you know, one or more of their choice of quantum hardware. And so now that you've put this in the hands of, of, of our customers, what are some of the feedback you're getting from them about what they what they like, what's useful to them about having this service? Um, I think, uh, I mean, obviously it's a familiar environment to them. Uh, many of them are existing AWS customers, not all. So it feels like AWS, you know, the billing, the uh, permissions management, you know, how you go to S3, for example, to go find uh, your results, how you fire up your your Jupyter Notebook to run experiments, particularly if you're familiar with some of the machine learning services uh, like SageMaker, will feel very familiar. Um, they like the fact that it's classic, you know, cloud mentality, no commitment, no barriers, you know, fully democratic, you know, opportunity, anybody gets to play. They like that we've adhered to the security bar that AWS sets, you know, we obviously put a tremendous amount of emphasis on securing customer data. And we've applied those same guiding principles to building the bracket service. Uh, they like that we are absolutely integrating this quantum experience with um, classical compute on AWS. Um, a lot of a lot of quantum computing experience out there is is very is you know is very um, siloed around quantum. You know, you go in, you work on a quantum machine, you build a quantum algorithm, you go test it. But the reality is, quantum computing is never going to replace 
classical computing. It will always, you know, or in the future, it will run alongside classical computing in the same way that, you know, GPUs run alongside CPUs, and so will QPUs run alongside probably both of those other processor types. So it's very much part of a broader computational landscape, and we encourage customers to you know, hit the limits of classical compute before they even really start thinking about quantum computing. If you've not maxed out classical compute, then you're probably sort of wasting your time trying to figure out how to use a quantum computer. Um, so we try to come come at this not from the perspective of shifting a quantum computer or, you know, prioritizing one technology over other, but rather looking at the computational problems customers have had for decades and see how quantum computing can fit into a broader, you know, HPC type environment for uh, classical compute. And we've, we've built a uh, professional services team, we call it the Quantum Solutions Lab, to help customers sort of look at it from that perspective and not just see it as a, you know, as a, as a, as a proving ground for quantum technology in itself. It's not about promoting quantum computing, it's, it's about understanding how quantum computing fits into the broader computational landscape. Yeah, it really is coming into that whole concept of using the, the right tool for the job at hand and the jobs that we imagine we may need to face as well, which is uh, That's right. always a challenge. Now, one of the uh, the the absolute joys, I think, of, of being at, at Amazon and and in your case, leading a a service release, is the discoveries mm-hmm. that are made after the service is released and put in the hands of the customers. You know, there's there's always a, a surprise, and in many cases, a delightful surprise of I didn't think people would do X or they would. Didn't realize they would like why, etc. What would you say was the, the biggest surprise or insight you've got from the last few months of, of customers using this service? Well, we've uh, we've been in, uh, in in preview mode now for with with just you know a select set of customers for a couple of months. I think it's been interesting how really the the, the diversity of how they think about quantum computing. You know, some customers just want to look at this at a you know very high level they want to think about high level abs- highly abstracted programming languages they don't, they don't want to think about you know, any of the hardware whereas you know other customers they want to dive in and they want to start you know playing with the pulses that drive the individual qubits inside the fridge you know they really want to understand how to model the, the, the fundamental hardware characteristics of these devices. So huge range in terms of um, perspective, uh, both from a sort of high level or low level way in which they think about quantum computing programming. And the other rest, I think just the you know just the diversity of of, uh, of industries that customers have approached us from. You know, and, and unfortunately, this is part of the the problem that we're trying to deal with here with this service is we're trying to we're trying to cut through the hype you know we we're not in the business of trying to raise money because we want to convince the world we have the best technology we're not trying to push a particular solution um we just want to give customers an unvarnished appreciation for where current state of the technology is you know we want to be the voice of reason in the industry and um it's been surprising. I suppose perhaps it shouldn't have been surprising how how much uh, customers had heard the hype. How much often they think quantum computers will somehow replace traditional computers, and you know this is this is somehow going to is going to happen overnight. Um, of course, none of that is true. So, so getting customers to think about the reality of the situation and to you know sort of gauge their level of excitement 
um, you know, has been one of the one of one of the more interesting challenges. You know, it's uh, it is a super exciting space, and it has its tremendous potential. But at the same time, we're still a long way away, uh, and customers, you know, really do need to think about how they can prioritise their resources to to get the best out of this technology right now. And, and then let me ask you this, Richard, because many of our listeners are, are early career, so they're they're looking at a, a long and fruitful career in IT, and they're probably listening to this going, uh, "This is this is this is an interesting domain." Um, how do I think about quantum computing? Do I, do I go into this quote unquote as a, as a specialty, et cetera? What, what would you recommend to those types of people who are looking at this going, this sounds like something I'd like to dive a little more deeply into. Well, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, as I have probably said too many times, you know, it's, it's, a, it's still a long way off. So if you wanted a surefire hit to build your career around, then, you know, right now, maybe quantum computing is not it. <laughs> um, but, at, but at the same time, I mean, come on, this is the opportunity to build, you know, a whole new era in computing. That's pretty cool. Um, so if you're the sort of person that can deal with a bit of ambiguity, you know, and is prepared to make a few mistakes along the way, this is the chance to be, you know, in at a new era in the same way that, you know, those folks building you know, vacuum tube computers in the 50s were in at a new era. So this is, you know, it's a tremendous exciting opportunity to, uh, you know, once in a lifetime opportunity, really. And it's interesting because it's, you know, it's the combination of so many different disciplines. You know, it, it's it's computing, absolutely. It's physics, yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, hardware, electronics design. It's, you know, material science. It's chemical engineering. It's machine learning all at the same time. It's... Uh, it's quite something. It's, a very, it's very, very multidisciplinary. And I guess if, if you're one of those people who has a, a keen interest in multiple of those domains, but are sort of going, oh, I don't really want to specialize in just the one, then this, this could yeah. be the, the gateway to, to explore all those skills and talents. That's right. So, you know, you could you could spend your whole career in quantum computing, you know, building chips or just focusing on error correction or focusing on, you know, programming toolkits, you know, or focus on building, you know, cloud services or worrying about how to tie it into chemical engineering. So completely different aspects of the industry, just as there are, I suppose, in in, in regular computing. It's um the one thing I think you you know, you should bear in mind thinking about the career. You know, this is uh you, you often hear it said in the industry that we are, you know, we're only one discovery away from being a major disruptive force in the, you know, in the, in the computing industry, which is true. But we're also one discovery away from having a massive skill shortage. So, you know, getting ahead of that curve could be a very smart uh, career decision, you know, because who knows, five years, 10 years, maybe sooner, we could prove that a quantum computer can do something that is not just impossible on a classical computer, but is actually useful. Mm. Uh, we sometimes call that quantum advantage. And uh, when that happens, there will be a rush to hire every quantum programmer on the planet. And if you're one of them, that's a good day. <laughs> it, is a, it is a very good day. And, and as, with, as with many things, I think, in Korea, you know, often people talk about you know, career advice and what to do, et cetera, is that, I think the number one thing is to go where your passion is, go with what you're interested in and then look for the intersection with, with the market, et cetera. And, and I think as you call that, you know, sometimes the market won't be ready yet. Sometimes it'll be ready later, et cetera. But if you're doing yeah. what you're interested in, then, then you're well positioned should it turn in that direction. And it's getting a lot easier. You know, I mean, not just the arrival of, um, of uh, Amazon Bracket, but um, there are other 
quantum access uh, services, um, some of them are free. Um, a lot of universities right now are starting up quantum programming courses, you know, at various different uh, levels, bachelor's and master's and, and doctorate level. So, um, you know, there's a crazy amount of tool, um, you know, learning vehicles out there. I mean, just, you know, just go to YouTube and and start poking around, looking at, uh, at, at quantum tutorials and, you know, programming examples. There's a, there's a, an enormous amount of information compared to what there was just five years ago. So it's, it's easy, I think, to um, to see if you, you, you know, you have an interest in the space. It's easy to get off first base um, and to, uh, you know, get some experience and, and, and try programming, you know, real devices. It's, uh, it's it's pretty quick to figure out whether this is going to be something that's interesting to you or not. Yeah, I, I, I like the low barrier to entry. It really, really makes a difference. So, Richard, how can our listeners connect to you online and how can they learn more about Amazon Bracket? Uh, well, I've, it, we've been in sort of stealthy mode for the last um, for the last bunch of months. So we're sort of coming out now as we, uh, you know, as we start talking about the service more. You know, I'm on I'm on LinkedIn. I've been I'm pretty quiet. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I will probably get noisier as the uh, as the year goes by, but people can certainly find me there. I'm just uh, it's just Richard Moulds. In terms of how they can find out about Bracket, well, we're um, as I say we're. Uh, we launched last uh, December at uh, our event uh, conference, which is our, our biggest user conference of the year. Um, and you can find details at aws.amazon.com slash bracket without the C. Without the, that, that's the test. <laughs> if you remember to leave the C off. Uh, it's, a, it's a tremendously exciting time. And Richard, thanks so much for coming on and, and really tackling a immensely complex and complicated uh, concept in a way that's uh, accessible to even the likes of me. So thanks for joining us. Great pleasure. And thank you for listening. We do love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com is the place to do that. And until next time, keep on building.